Well, it's an absolute joy to be back here this morning with Molly, my wife. I'm glad that John made the announcement that our girls aren't here, so I have to let everyone down individually. Uh, but it is a joy to be here. It feels kind of like uh, going to a high school reunion. Um, it's just a wonderful time to be back here to see uh, so many folks that loved us well and, and served with us and alongside us and allowed us to grow here in ministry. So we're so thankful to be here this morning. But we are here to worship the one true living God. And so let's hear from him now. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, I will read for us verses 3 through 12. Uh, this is a letter of hope and encouragement for Christians, originally written to Christians in uh, what is modern-day Turkey. But it's a, a letter that Peter wrote to them to give them hope and encouragement. So before I read this, let me pray. Uh, to the Lord for his blessing. Gracious God, in your light, we see light. And so we pray this morning on this joyous occasion, this time where we can worship you, that you would lend your light to us, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to the truth of your scripture and to this foundational hope that we have because of what you have given us, because you protect us, and because you're working out your purpose in us. So we pray that you would bless us to that end and for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God. I'm sure most of you know the state motto of South Carolina. The state motto of South Carolina is, while I breathe, I hope. Dumb Spiro Sparrow. 
It's one of two mottos of South Carolina. The other one's not as well known. It's about uh, having the resources you need, but it doesn't sound as catchy. <laughs> this motto is on the state seal. You see it on license plates when you drive around South Carolina. But I wonder if you've ever wondered about what that means. While I breathe, I hope. What is that hope founded in? What is that hope anchored upon? Historically, this was a popular phrase in the British Isles, and it was one that was adopted by South Carolinians as a, an homage to their never-give-up attitude around the Revolutionary War. But what is that hope anchored in? Is it based on something bigger than yourself? Graduates, what is your hope in as you go into this next chapter of your life? It seems to me that hope, in an abstract sense, it's not anchored in anything, is not particularly helpful. It's just a dream that, a wish is a dream that your heart makes, that sort of deal. And I think the same uh, can be said for understanding what hope is in Scripture. One of the difficulties in our day and age understanding some of Scripture is that we use words differently than, they fi than we find them in the Bible. For example, the word awesome, right? We throw the word awesome around. One of our girls finishes a coloring sheet. That is awesome. <laughs> but in the Psalms, awesome is a knock you on your feet, reverential awe, reverential fear of who God is and what he has done. And it's the same with the word hope. We throw the word hope around. I hope you feel better. I hope my team wins the Premier League this year. They did not. I heard this morning, I hope the preaching's good, right? <laughs> we throw hope around. But really what we're meaning when we say hope is something that our souls can rest in, look forward to, be anchored in. And so a definition for the Christian is that hope is something that is uh, defined as a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises. Hope for the Christian can be defined as a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises. And as we will see in this passage this morning, our hope is in God's provision, God's protection, and God's purpose in our lives. Peter is encouraging us this morning as Christians that our hope is anchored in what God has done for us, what God is doing in us. And where we are going by the grace of God. So let's look this morning at verses 3 through 5 to begin as we see God's provision and protection for us. Peter begins this letter by praising God for the salvation that he has delivered, applied, completed, given to his people. And as we see in verse 3 through 5, we see that we have a living hope. A hope that is alive. A hope that is thriving. We have this because we are born again. We are born again, verse 3 tells us, because we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead as the anchor of our new life. We are born again to a living hope because God the Father has granted this to us because of his great mercies. God's mercy for us is full. It is complete. It is overflowing. 
And the reason we can know that is that it reaches us in the first place. God's mercy is rich and lavished upon us. Our hope is not dependent on our own strength or our own abilities. It is all about what God has done for us in making us born again. Many of you in this room are in the sanctuary are parents, and perhaps you remember the, the birth of your child. Some of our graduate parents might be a little nostalgic this morning. If you're a big sister or a big brother, you might remember the birth of a younger sibling, perhaps. But I would venture to say that no one remembers their own birth. Now, there might be reasons, it might be a little too traumatic, there might be reasons for that. But that gets to the heart of what born again is about. It's something that God does for us and in us. In the same way that I can tell you where I was born, what date, and so on and so forth, I was just there. I was a part of it, but it happened to me. That's what God does for us in his great mercy. He causes us to be born again to a living hope. What does our new birth look like? Is because of the Father's great mercy. Is because of what Christ has done for us in his perfect life, death, and resurrection from the dead. But this new birth looks like convincing us of our own darkness in our own hearts, shining light into our darkness, showing us who he is in the light of the gospel, and revealing himself to us through his word. The new birth is the cornerstone of our living hope. This living hope that we are born again looks forward to an inheritance, as Pastor John illustrated so well for our children earlier. An inheritance that Peter tells us in verse 4 is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. One of my favorite keepsakes in this life is I have my grandfather's college ring, I know we're in South Carolina. I won't say what college it was. It was Clemson. Um, But the ring that, uh, you know, my grandfather's hands were humongous, so I had it resized, and I wear it to certain occasions, certain football games, and so on and so forth. Uh, But the entire ring is just bald. I mean, you can't read any of the writing on it. It's faded over time. He graduated in 1951, so that ring's been around for a while. It's an example of the things of this life fade even the things we love the things we cherish the things we keep safe and only wear on certain occasions they wear out over time things fade things are defiled but this inheritance that inheritance that god has for us is kept for us so we see our hope is about what god provides for us what he's done for us but also what he is protecting for us an inheritance that The things of this world cannot touch. No one can take away your inheritance if you are in Christ Jesus. It is safe and secure. This phrase kept here is in the perfect tense, which means it's a a fixed and abiding state. It is and it always will be. He's going to keep your inheritance safe for you, specifically for you. This eternal blessing from God. We can contrast that with Israel's inheritance in the Old Testament. Did Israel keep their inheritance? No, they lost it. The promised land. Something that they defiled, something that they lost, something they weren't able to hold on to themselves. The inheritance for the Christian is kept for you. 
And the good news is also in verse 5 is that God's protection extends to us as well. Our inheritance is kept for us, but we are guarded by the power of God. We had a beautiful call to worship this morning from Psalm 95 about God's immense, majestic power. And that immense, majestic power, the same God who created all things out of nothing, the same God who split the Red Sea, the same God who raised his son from the dead, that God's power is guarding you, is keeping you in this life. Which is good news because we'll see trials come our way in just a moment. He's guarding us until his glory is revealed. And this picture of being guarded by God is uh, something we all experienced, I'm sure, around 2020 when you were trying to work at home and you had to watch little children. When you have to work at home and watch little children, you want to, like, keep them secure, but you also don't want them to wander. And so you sort of, you know, you guard them over here, but then over time you also teach them things that are good or bad for them to do to stay safe, right? Stay away from outlets and so on and so forth. But at first we just sort of, you know, you build a little structure to keep them in and keep them safe. It's just, that's what God is doing for us. He's keeping our inheritance. He's guarding us. And then we also see that through faith, he is working out in us a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Students, children, young people, everyone in the sanctuary, your salvation is ready. Your salvation is complete. There are no more accolades that you need to bring to the table. It's all because of what Jesus has done for you. And all of this, this reward, this heavenly inheritance that we are waiting for, is ready for us because of what Jesus has done for us. He told us he's going to prepare a place for us, for you. And that's exactly where he is. Our hope is living because our Savior is living. God's provision and God's protection for you individually should be such a comfort for you in life. It should be such a a hope for you, a living hope. And we know that Peter, who wrote this letter, understood hope because Peter understood hopelessness. If we put ourselves in Peter's sandals, we know that Peter was there on the night that Jesus was arrested. He denied Jesus. Jesus was crucified and buried. And over that entire weekend, Peter's hope was extinguished. Peter knew what hopelessness was. And so when Peter writes a letter about hope and encouragement, it can only be because on Easter morning, that hope was reignited, seeing his Lord risen again. Peter writes a letter to encourage us to give hope for the hopeless, To give hope for those who feel like life is too hard or too difficult. He writes to give us this living hope through the power of the triune God. God has given us a living hope. He protects us as we walk through this life. He keeps our heavenly inheritance for us in heaven. It cannot fade. Nothing in this world can touch it. Our hope is anchored in the past and alive in the present. 
And we also see in verses 6 through 9 God's purpose. We have provision, protection, and purpose this morning. Verse 6 begins this sort of different section. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's purpose in our life is that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. The good news is that God uses all circumstances in our lives to do that. And the even better news is that he uses the most difficult times in our lives to do that. Our trials, our struggles, our griefs. God is at work knitting all of those together. Making us more and more into the image of our wonderful, gracious Savior. We rejoice in the salvation that the Lord has worked out for us. And through which we have this living hope. But we know that life is tough. That life is very difficult. And so it's good to know that God is working out his purpose in our lives. The readers of this letter in the very near future, if not already, would face extreme persecution under the emperor Nero. Some of them would lose their lives. How can people who are staring death in the face find joy, as Peter's going to tell us? How can they have hope in the midst of suffering and grief? They have hope because of their eternal security in this living hope. And they have hope also because God is using their trials, their sufferings, for his ultimate purpose. I want you to think about that. I want us all to think about that, that God uses the worst things we go through in life to make us more and more into the perfect image of Jesus, his son. That is a great assurance to us because we are grieved by many trials. The term here, various, in our passage is the same term used uh, in the Greek Old Testament for Joseph's multicolored coat. That's what our trials look like. A multicolored thread woven together. They are various. They are varied. But in verses 6 and 7, we have three reasons for hope in the midst of trials. Our hope will outlast our trials. Our faith is strengthened through our suffering. And Christ will put an end to all suffering. We are being built up and strengthened as we walk through this life. It is making our faith like that of gold. That is God's purpose for us, that while this living hope is within us, it's producing a faith that is purified and and solid like that of gold. Gold does not burn up in fire. Gold is resilient. And we see that it is working towards, verse 9, this this finish line. Obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We've already heard that salvation is ready. That inheritance is waiting on us. And so when we are in this life, our 
great shepherd is refining us, is purifying us through difficult times. I know that y'all have heard this illustration before because I think I stole it from John. There's a Christian counselor that talks about refining metals, commenting on a passage such as these in the New Testament. Talked about how in refining you heat a, a, a liquid ore and then you scrape off the impurities once the liquid oil has heated up and become a liquid. You scrape the impurities across the top. And this counselor asked uh, an old school refiner, how, how do you know when this process is finished? And the refiner said, when I can see my face in that metal, I know my job is done. When I can see my face in that silver or gold that I'm purifying, I know that my job is done. So it is with us. God is purifying us until we are reflecting God's image in this life. It won't happen until we're in glory with him, but that is the process that he is working on. That is his purpose as we walk through our life. Christian, we are being made into the image of the Lord, and that is the, and the ways and means that he does this is through trials. And we have comfort in knowing that the pioneer and perfecter of our faith has gone before us. In a lot of ways, we are in the same situation as the Christians in verse 8. Though we have not seen Jesus, we love him. Though we do not now see him, we believe in him. And here's something really, really cool. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Our living hope produces within us this type of joy. A joy that's inexpressible. A joy that through griefs and trials and sorrow and suffering is still there. And the reason for that is that it is a glory-filled joy. It is infused like some really nice herbal tea that I would never drink, but it's infused with, with literally, the, the wording here is bits of heaven, bits of glory is in our joy. You can't go out and buy that joy in a store. You can't find that joy. It is a byproduct of the living hope of the gospel within us. Peter writes of a, a belief, a, a personal trust that we have in Jesus, though we have not seen him. Because we know that we will see him. Our inheritance is secure. So the question for us this morning, the question for you graduates, the question for all of us is, what are you hoping in? Who are you hoping in? If you're hoping in your own Ability and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that'll probably get you so far. But you'll run out of steam one day. We all do. Graduates, as you'll hear over and over again, you have your entire life in front of you, which is like a daunting thing people say to you, but it's also true. What is the anchor of your greatest hopes and dreams? It's what God has done for you. That God will protect you when you go through inevitable difficulties in your life. Is your hope in that God has a purpose that he is working out in your life? A hope that is anchored in what God has done for us, what he provides for us, that he's protecting us, that he has a purpose in our life, is one that will get us through life's toughest storms. 
G.K. Chesterton wrote, Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is of no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. I don't know where you are this morning, but you will need this hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who grants this hope to us through his great mercy. Let's pray together.